are a small nonprofit with no paid staff. We have designated some of our volunteers as voting board members and some as staff. For an organization with less than $50,000 a year in revenue, does it make sense to designate between a separate board and staff or should the staff positions be shared among the board members? Can you provide guidance or insight on org charts for small all-volunteer nonprofits? Mm, that's a that's an interesting structure. So it's I mean it doesn't sound super unusual for a very small nonprofit that has no paid staff is that you have some people who are actually on the board and they do board jobs and then you have volunteers that do volunteer things for you. Um I I don't know that it's necessary to like for example you don't have to have all of your volunteers be board members. Like people right. that work for your organization can work for your organization and not necessarily be responsible for governance activities. Um, so, so yeah, I think it does make sense to, to designate like this is the board and then you do stuff. So the other, the only thing that I'd wonder about this question is, is using the word staff, like that there's staff roles. Yes. Right. So is that's the trigger that makes me wonder if this is more complicated than I'm making it out to be. Well, the part that worries me about this question is, yes. I mean, I think we all know that a working board is, is, you know, has a governance role and a working role where they're, they're doing like the staff operations. And yet I'm thinking about if, if you're putting this on your website or any of the materials you produce and you have got like a list of staff <laughs> right. that are yeah. really not paid, right. That are the same list as your board. I think that could really, um, I mean, a, that's not appropriate because you shouldn't have all your staff be board members. Usually if there's any staff who's a board member, it's an executive director, right? right? So, and I think it's kind of misleading. I mean, it makes you look a bit larger than, I, I mean, you look larger than you are. You don't mm-hmm. have staff. Like it could say volunteer staff, but but do you even need to put that? Or can you just say, here's our board of directors, period. Like that's what you're out there promoting. And, and then you internally are saying, yes, this board member, handles our day-to-day bookkeeping. This one handles our, you know, marketing or social media or whatever. I like, and have that internal instead of, I think it gets confusing as someone externally looking at this, seeing a list of board members and a list of staff and they're the exact same. And I I don't know, maybe I, just because I know too much about this topic, think it's confusing and maybe no one else would really care. Yeah. I I mean, I I, I guess I'm, my question would be, what are you trying to achieve by doing that? So by giving volunteers, um, titles that are typically used for paid staff, I think that could be problematic because then, then uh, certainly you're never going to grow because a funder is going to look at you and go, wow, this is the most hilarious conflict of interest I've ever seen. (laughs) 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 Uh, So, so, so you're going to be maybe stuck in that small nonprofit space for a super long time because you're never going to be able to break out of it. But, but if you're really trying to achieve that, you want somebody to be responsible for something and you feel like you need to give them a, a title because that's what's going to motivate them to be responsible for it. Yeah, I think you're right. You need to be really careful because you're, you're moving into strange ethical territory where if you call somebody the, you know, you, let's say you call somebody the staff accountant or the controller right. or something like that, but they're not on the board and they're not being paid. It, it gets confusing. Do they get to put that on their resume that they were the controller for this organization? That and so that's maybe yeah, typically maybe. something you get paid for. And so you're going to, it just seems ethically weird. So just, I'd step back and say like, 
why am I doing this? What's the point of this? Exactly. And again, yeah, maybe it's just about how you're communicating. Maybe you have your own internal systems where everyone's assigned to a specific role, but that doesn't need to be communicated to the outside world. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that may just be the, if you say you've got a really big volunteer core and you need some way to organize your really big volunteer core, but you still don't make $50,000, you don't make enough money to really hire any staff at all. Exactly. Uh, that, that could be the way that your nonprofit just works. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, codify it, make sure it makes sense to everybody, but yeah, be careful conflating staff and board positions because it just, it, it has the, even if you're not doing anything wrong, it gives anybody else the sense of it's something icky is going on. And my guess is this organization wants to grow beyond $50,000 and that could actually hurt them rather than help them in that, pro- you know, with yeah. that. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hey there, welcome, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Nonprofit Everything, where we try to do our best to answer all of the stuff on your mind about nonprofits, or we bring in experts, right, Andy? Mm-hmm. Anyway, it is uh, so good to have you here. And as always, we love your questions. So please send us your questions. You can go to nonprofiteverything.com. You can go to Anne or find us anywhere and everywhere to, uh, you know, just ask us what's that thing keeping you up at night, right? I don't know about you, but I'm like in the shower or like at night, all those weird, quirky questions come up. <laughs> you okay. said those. True the confessions. <laughs> True confessions. Yeah. They're actually usually not about nonprofit stuff. So full mm. disclosure. Anyway, um, and here's the thing. Share this. We're trying to grow the audience. And so we would love if there is a coworker or someone else you know that you think could benefit from this, or maybe a friend who's asked you a question and is in the nonprofit sector, share this with them. I mean, we're just trying to build our audience, and that's one of our goals this year. So we're hoping you can help us out with that with just a quick share. And thank you, as always, to the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, who this podcast is presented by, and we appreciate Anne and everything they do. I just renewed my membership the other day, and I hope you have to. What can we do if an employee starts bad-mouthing us on social media? I must say that I am not at all equipped to answer this question. Uh, uh, fire them immediately. Fire them, and that is not at all the correct answer. <laughs> we totally need an expert for this one. Do you have idea before we just pitch it to an expert? Do you have any thoughts? So I I did a little bit of online research when this question came in because I was curious. And it's interesting. It talks about um, think again, that you can't actually fire an employee for you know, talking poorly about your company or about another employee in your company. However, there sounds like there may be some rules around there is a level that that it can start to actually create create an opportunity to let go of the employee. So for example, if they they make sort of a hostile work environment with something they post online, if they do something that crosses the line with an, uh, like a, a harassment policy of some sort that you have set or it's defamation, it sounds like there may be some room to fire them or reprimand them based on that. But again, this is this could be a random Google searching that is incorrect. So I do think we need an expert. Yeah, I think my instinct really, I mean, and, and yes, absolutely an expert. My instinct is really that it's a, it's a big 
opportunity, right? If somebody, if one of your employees is saying something about your organization on social media, that's, that's like, that's kind of the dream because then you get to find out like what the challenge is. You're not, you don't have to guess at like what's going wrong. Your employee is like saying, Hey, I'm unhappy and this is what needs to change. And so it gives you the opportunity to like, just call the employee in and say, what was that about? You know, and figure out what can we fix? What's bad about it? How can we turn this bad opportunity, bad situation into a better opportunity? I think, I think that's a very positive way to look at it. I think I would be (laughs) really annoyed (laughs) just saying, I mean, because it's such a public I don't know. It's one thing. Yes. Do, do I want to know what my employees are truly thinking? Yes. But yeah, it's such a public exposure thing that it just, that part makes me really uncomfortable. Uh, you know, and it's, you know, I know it's the world we live in and yet that just makes me cringe a bit. everybody. It's Stacy here, and I am excited to have a special guest today, Tony Golden with Guard Golden Law Firm. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Tony, and then I will let him uh, share more of the fun stuff about, about himself. So uh, Tony is one of the founding partners of the Guard Golden Law Firm, a trusted advisor to private and public sector employees in all aspects of the employment relationship. And uh, when I was reading his bio, one of the things um, I thought was was interesting were some of the cutting edge issues he speaks on uh, that affect employers such as medical and recreational marijuana, same-sex marriage, and social media in the workplace, which really leads us to uh, today's topic. Tony, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for being here. So tell us a little bit about about you. Uh, if you want to elaborate more on, on your professional life or your personal life, we'd love to hear maybe a little bit more of both. Oh, sure. So um, I've been practicing law for about 15 years. Uh, Over the last 10 years, I've been doing primarily labor and employment work, uh, representing mostly employers, um, sometimes employees, but primarily employers. And, um, you know, it's never a dull moment in in employment law because I get questions, you know, like what we're going to talk about today, um, pretty much every day, all day long. Um, So when I'm not in court, um, in litigation, I'm usually at my desk fielding questions from clients on how to deal with employee issues. And I think... You know, you this is the Nonprofit Everything podcast, and of course, we have nonprofits at all stages of their professional development. We have executive directors, founders of nonprofits, board members, donors. So, right. I think we've got quite the mix here of people who probably will relate uh, to some of these these issues we're talking about today, whether it's in their their you know other business or it's in their nonprofit that they're working for. No, that's great, and I, I have a number of nonprofit clients, so you know. I've seen a lot of these issues and how they impact nonprofits. Um, you know, a lot of nonprofits are, are smaller organizations and, um, you know, they have to deal with some of these bigger issues um, frequently. And, and so, you know, sometimes they need help. Absolutely. Well, you are a good resource for them and we'll make sure to put a link to your website and bio so people can check you out more and reach out if they need any further support after after they listen. Um, so let's get, let's get right right into it. So the question we got uh, that, that obviously we aren't qualified to answer was, what can we do if an employee starts bad mouthing us on social media? Um, so in general, kind of the first components that you need to, to talk about that issue 
um, is some background on what the law is um, in that area. And so um, you have this law, which the, is the primary law that's going to affect this question, which is the National Labor Relations Act. And the National Labor Relations Act, um, a lot of people think of it in terms of, well, that only applies when there's union organizing or, um, you know, something in, only involving unions. But that's not true. So it generally applies to any employer, whether they're a union employer or not. Um, and there are some limitations, but it does um, capture a lot of nonprofits um, will be subject to the law. And so... The reason that law is important is because it um, it protects employees who are engaged in what's called protected concerted activity. And so protected activity in that definition means um, essentially complaining about wages, hours, or working conditions. Okay. Concerted activity means um, usually two or more employees are engaged in the complaining about wages, hours, or working conditions. Or you might have one employee who is speaking on behalf of a group of employees. And so that's where the social media issue comes in. If they're quote-unquote bad-mouthing their employer, it could be protected. Um, it depends on what they're saying, and it depends on how they're saying it. Uh, and so that's the background to that. You got to love all the gray areas, right? There's so many gray areas in this um, as far as just, you know, certain things that probably, as you said, are protected activities and are, are not. And I didn't realize. So, so if I'm understanding you, one of the key factors in this would be if, if I, if I, Stacy, as, as an employee, we're just complaining about, gosh, I don't get paid enough, you know, I really, my boss drives me nuts, whatever, something like that, um, I would be protected. Is that fair to say? It could be. Now, if it's just an individual gripe, if it only applies to you and you're not speaking on behalf of other employees or other employees aren't joining you in that complaint, um, then it might not be protected. Um, so it, you need both components, the protected activity and the concerted activity. All right. Well, why don't we, you were kind enough and, and to our listeners, Tony was so kind to offer up a few examples, real life examples he's dealt with, with some of the facts changed a bit to protect, uh, you know, make sure it's, uh, a, you know, ensure anonymity. But with that said, one of those that, um, he shared was, was this, Immediately following the October 1st, 2017 shooting in Las Vegas, an employee post on Facebook criticizing his employer for supporting sanctuary cities, suggesting that the shooter was an undocumented immigrant who wouldn't have been in the U.S., but for companies like his employer supporting sanctuary cities. So, Tony, walk us through that. Right. So, um, you know, obviously we know that wasn't true, right? That, um, it, you know, the shooter obviously was uh, not an undocumented Im immigrant. Um, so one of the um, things that that particular employer had in place, which was helpful and which I recommend every employer have, no matter what their size, mm -hmm. is an employee handbook. And in that employee handbook, they should have a social media policy. 
And in that social media policy, they should talk about things like using common sense. Um, if they're going to post opinions uh, that have anything to do with work, that they state that this is their personal opinion and not the opinion of their employer. Um, and that all of their other policies, so um, anti-harassment, discrimination, uh, confidentiality, those kinds of things, all apply even when an employee is outside of work posting on social media. Because if they're posting anything about work, um, all of those policies would still apply. Okay. And so in this particular case, uh, the, uh, the employer had a policy that, um, uh, and it's not always common, but they had a particular policy saying, you know, we don't tolerate, um, you know, comments about racism and that sort of thing. And, you know, they had a uh, policy regarding professionalism and all of that. And so um, in this particular case, this was an individual complaint, so to speak, about the employer. Um, he wasn't, the poster was not um, bringing up anything involving other employees. Um, he wasn't bringing up anything, he wasn't you know, trying to speak on behalf of other employees. And so this was not protected activity. And because this activity wasn't just critical of the employer, it violated their you know, discrimination policy and things like that, um, it served as a legitimate basis to terminate his employment. What I'm surprised of is this person individually on their own individual social media page mm -hmm. posts this, but the minute it starts mentioning their employer and then mentioning this issue, then it, then it does it sort of then transition from a a personal issue to then they have to abide by the work policy issue because they mentioned their employer? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a good uh, point to latch on to. So, you know, a lot of employees think, well, uh, if I'm not on the clock, I can do whatever I want, basically. Right. Um, which to some extent is true, but once you start dragging your employer into it by mentioning them, you know, specifically, which is what happened in this case, um, or, you know, let's say you're even if you're off the clock, um, but you're with another employee, a coworker, and you harass that employee, for example, that becomes a work related issue, even though it's off the clock. Um, and so the employer can deal with those situations um, under its policies and procedures, even though it didn't happen at work. And it sounds like from what you're saying, if this employer did not have an employee handbook with a social media policy, Right. there would have been nothing actionable to terminate this employee. Is that fair? It would have been a lot harder to justify because, um, yeah, common sense would say you shouldn't post something like that mentioning your employer, right? But um, it's a lot more um, justifiable and easier to point to a specific policy if you have a written policy and say this is the reason we fired the person, not because they were in tried to engage in protected concerted activity. And so in this particular case, this individual, after they got terminated, did file a complaint with the National Labor Relations Board. Um, and the investigator you know, investigated it. We prepared a response to the complaint saying he was not acting, it wasn't concerted activity. Um, the type of speech that he, you know, posted could arguably be considered protected activity, but it wasn't concerted because it was his individual opinion. You know, he wasn't involving any other employees or anything like that. Um, and it ended up getting dismissed. 
Okay. Okay. Wow. Interesting stuff here. All right. I'm learning a thing or two. <laughs> um, all right. So the next one we'll dive into. An employee posts on Twitter a criticism about the cost to the community of his nonprofit employer's new community development project. And this employee posts a photo of the employer's internal plans regarding the project that hasn't yet been released publicly. Wow. <laughs> Yikes. That doesn't sound good to me. So, so tell us how, what happened there. So, um, so in that particular one, um, the client was involved in a construction development project. They, they are a nonprofit client um, and they were, um, you know, it was for a community development project. Um, and so not only did they have policies and procedures in place, like I would recommend, but they also had all their employees sign a confidentiality agreement, which I also recommend. Um, because even as a nonprofit, you need to protect your confidential information. Um, nonprofits have intellectual property that needs to be protected, um, all that kind of thing. So um, the issue there was he was criticizing this, this project, um, which on its own might not have resulted in, you know, termination or even disciplinary action or anything like that. Um, the employer really didn't care so much about that. What they cared about was that he posted an internal confidential document, which kind of outlined what the program was going to be, um, the, what this project was going to be. And that is what resulted in his termination. Um, and, you know, he violated their confidentiality policy and it was pretty clear. Um, he didn't try to hide it. He didn't try to backtrack. So, it was a justifiable termination. Yeah. I am just, I, I guess, uh, back to, you know, the, the first question when we talked a bit about common sense. I mean, I'm, I'm a little surprised right. people would do this sort of stuff, but I know, uh, I'm sure you see it all, right? Yeah. Yeah. This, these are actually, I mean, you know, they're pretty benign compared to a few of the things I've seen. Um, even on social media, it's, it's amazing what people will post. So Tony, in, in, in the case of, of when you're hiring somebody and you, they've applied for the position, you want to see, you want to check them out on social media, right? We all do it. Uh, we, we sort of do that cyber stalking a little, right? Especially before we're going to hire somebody who is, is there anyone who's protected in that, in that case? If I were an employer and I saw somebody, uh, that had applied for a position with my firm and I didn't like what I was seeing on social media and I decided not to hire them. Uh, is there, is there anything that could come back to uh, hurt me, bite me in that, in that case? Yeah. So there are a few things to keep in mind and, and you kind of got to weigh the pros and the cons. So um, like you said, it's human nature. You want to find out more about those people who you're about to hire. Right. So you do a little digging online and um, yes, it's good to find out, uh, you know, do they have any bad social media posts or things that would cause you concern or, you know, things that would make you question whether or not you should hire them. So that's sort of, a positive as an employer that you want to find out, right? Um, before you hire somebody, the downside of it is in doing that, you learn more things about the person than what they present to you in their application, their resume during an interview, that sort of thing. So let's say, for example, you do that and you find out that they are a member of kind of an unusual religious organization. 
Okay. okay. Um, well, religion is protected under Title VII. It's a, a protected class. And so if you were to then, say, not hire that person, and somehow it got back to them that you looked at their social media and you saw this religious affiliation and that you know played into your decision not to hire them, they would have a legitimate claim. Uh, against you as an employer uh, for violation of Title VII. Now, the likelihood of that ever getting back to the person is probably pretty slim, but it does happen. Um, so you have to keep that in mind. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, because that's I guess that's what I always thought. Is who's really going to know if I'm checking them out on social media and if, that's the, if right. that's the sole reason, unless I start blabbing it around the office or saying something right. about that, right? Well, the other thing, think about this. So on Facebook... Right. If have you ever looked someone up and then all of a sudden they start showing up as yes. a suggested friend, right? Yeah. Even though you might not have any other connection with that person. Yes. So if you look somebody up, you're going to show up as a suggested friend to that. And so it kind of tips them off unless you have some other connection, uh, you know, friends in common. It kind of tips them off that you went and visited their Facebook page. Well, I certainly got my lesson today and I, I really appreciate it. Uh, is there any final, in, in sort of some final remarks, um, anything in general, um, any broad advice you would give our nonprofit listeners uh, as it relates to all these complexities of, of HR, social media, and everything in between? Right. Yeah. Two, two kind of key takeaways. Um, spend the time developing your policies and procedures um, because it'll save you a lot of heartache um, after the fact. And number two, document, 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 because if something gets to the point where you need to engage an attorney, um, the better documentation you have, the better position you're going to be in to defend against uh, any kind of claim. We can't thank you. I can't thank you enough for giving your time. I know, um, I know you're a busy man and uh, in high demand because you're obviously incredibly knowledgeable in all this. So thank you for, for giving your time, sharing your expertise uh, for nonprofit everything. No problem. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure and, uh, and I wish you all the best success. a small startup nonprofit, only two years old, and our board has so many ideas about how we should be spending our money. Some think we need to invest in fundraising. Others think marketing. Others think we need to hire part-time staff. It's overwhelming looking at all of the options in front of us. From your perspective, what are the most important things a small nonprofit should be dedicating its budget to? That's such, such a great great position to be in where you've got money and you're trying to decide how to spend it. That's, that's not typical for a small nonprofit, a small two-year-old startup nonprofit usually is like, the first question is how do we get some money? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is usually the pain point. Yeah. So, so how to spend the money is sort of refreshing. Like we have some money and we need to know how to spend it. I, and you know, the worst possible answer is it all kind of depends on who you are and what you're doing and what space you're in. And I mean, my, my, First instinct would be maybe you need some staff because staff starts to do things that uh, they start to answer those questions for you. You can hire a professional that's been in this position before that knows how to do these kinds of things. And then we'll we'll direct the organization so that it's maximizing its mission. And then you can focus on governance things as a board instead of instead of 
trying to create a budget, which is all isn't all that exciting to do. I enjoy it, but no one else does. Um, <laughs> You're a weirdo. Though. I'm a weirdo. Um, so so my my first instinct is I think getting some staff on board may be a good first step and then assigning them the responsibility of putting a budget together to see how we how we actually start to meet our mission in a significant way. Do you have a sense of what staff, like if you had, you could only hire one staff member and you were, a, you know, a young, small organization like this, who, which position would you hire? ED. Someone who, you know, you, you need to hire the top job first. All, this is my instinct is you have to hire the top job first because like the last thing you want is to hire somebody who's going to end up being the secretary to the person that you eventually hire, because that doesn't give that person an awful lot of motivation to do it. If, unless, unless you think you need one very specific thing, and then I would go for a consultant. If you, if you think the most important thing for you right now is PR, for example, hire a PR firm. If you think the most important thing right now is fundraising, find an organization that can do fun, that can help you out with fundraising rather than getting a body in there. If you're going to hire a body, hire somebody that's going to sort of help you with the strategic, the overall strategy, help you determine how to put that budget together, help you how to get to that mission. And the most, that's, that would be my thought. I can't, I can't imagine hiring somebody other than the ED first. So I, well, I have a little bit of a different take and maybe it's, (laughs) yeah. So, so I'm going to help you imagine. So, so here's the deal. I think when you're young as a nonprofit and new, so I have no clue where the money, I don't know how much money this organization has, and I don't know where they got it from. Maybe they have, you know, a handful of wealthy board members or maybe a founder who, you know, struck it rich. But when you think about beginning stages of a nonprofit, I think one of the most important things you can do out there is get your programming or services or whatever that is, that is your mission, delivered out there because it gives you relevance. You have something then to talk about when you actually do seek money or grants or talk to donors. When you're looking for publicity, people hopefully have maybe heard you. If you can figure out a way to actually show what you're delivering. I I, I used to have a different take on this because a few years back, I probably would have said, oh, invest in, you know, you've got to raise the money. But like, what are you raising money for? Like, so at this point, if it is an ED you hire, so, so I could go back and forth and say, maybe it's more of a, a, a there's so many questions I have, but right. But, but a program director um, or an executive director that has a strong program focus for program delivery, because I honestly think at this stage, y- you've got to get out there and you've got to be able to show why you exist, why you're relevant and what, why people should actually care. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I'm looking back at my my nonprofit startup experience. So I've, I've done that a handful of times and each time I've done it has been for pretty significantly sized organizations. So so that's probably my lens is to, to bring in that top person and then you sort of backfill it because, you know, the organizations that I was on the startup team for, like like you cannot do it until you've built something gigantic. Absolutely. <laughs> right. So Absolutely. you need a lot of stuff to actually get the mission to go. So yeah, I, I see your point. If it's something that is something that you can get a program director position in there and you can actually start doing something that does make sense for, and it may make sense for your smaller startup, yeah, yeah. Too, not a, not a monster. <laughs> I, I think at the end of the day, right, it depends. And you and I answer some of these questions with that. Let's and I hate that. All of them like, like that yeah, from it now depends. on. It depends. It, just, it depends. Just depends. But there are, right, there's so many different, yeah, fra- <laughs> frameworks to, to think about. Yeah, no, but I, I do. I do see that point. And I think I think what what when you're talking, what resonated the most was like having something to show so that you can continue, continue to raise money. So yeah. because if you're not doing anything, if you're just talking about stuff and you're like, this is what we're going to be when we grow up. 
like unless there's a plan, right. which is what I was thinking the ED would do, like th- unless there's a plan, like nobody's going to give you any money. Well, and candidly, think about it, like even recruiting beyond just the money, if you're going to try to recruit other board members at some point or you need volunteers because you only have one staff, like you've got to have something for them to do and something, right, you're working toward or else there's really no incentive or motivation. So I think it's kind of like the linchpin to getting you all the other stuff you, you eventually need to grow and, and be. Congratulations, everybody. You got, oh, you know what we should do? We've got, So we've got this happy music at the end of the podcast. Like the music, it kind of sounds like it's from a news program from the early 80s. <laughs> yeah. Right? The Which music is actually the, you. The music of the end needs to be sad. <laughs> oh, because it's <laughs> over. The podcast is over. Shouldn't the music be sad? Because <laughs> <laughs> then you know you're getting to the end and it's not going to be like another question. And then you can just like fast forward through this talking that, that, that Stacy and I do right at the end. But thank you for getting to the end of another episode of, of Nonprofit Everything. Maybe we'll work on some sad music for next time. <laughs> <laughs> you, I always just call Andy a weirdo. Is that not the weirdest thing to say? Oh, anyway. I think it's fun. Oh, it is But fun. we'd like to thank the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits for making this possible. Um, also thank our guest experts as well as you for answering asking us the questions so please continue to send those questions in it's the only thing that makes this work and we will talk to you in a couple of weeks 